Thank you for joining us for a life-changing message from Norm Oberlin, pastor of Mount Hope Church in beautiful Gaylord, Michigan. Our prayer is that this message will help strengthen and encourage your walk with Christ. Please enjoy. And now, here is Pastor Norm. Well, it isn't that I don't have a lot of scripture for you today, but as I was in the back, I felt impressed. Uh, We have some really exuberant worshipers in this body. Hallelujah. And again, I'm always reminded of these giant football games where uh, 60, 70, 80,000 people show up cheering for their team. Psalm 66, 1 through 4, shout with joy to God all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies cringe before you. All the earth bows down to you. They sing praise to you. They sing praise to your name. Selah. Hallelujah. That's what we're supposed to do as we worship the Lord. So don't stop being exuberant. And if you're fairly new to this uh, type of gathering, (laughs) it's scriptural. Hallelujah. We believe in the Bible in this church, amen? My uh, title, of course, is Foundational Truths. We began this last Sunday. Today we're going to be talking about the beginning. Last week, what did we talk about? The Word. The Bible. Can we trust it? Hallelujah. Yes, we can. The Bible is God's truth. It is His Word to us, and we can apply it to our lives. And trust me, if you do, you will prosper. You will be whole in in every area of your life. The word prosper doesn't just mean financially. It talks about whole health. It talks about your mind. It talks about everything that's a part of us. Hallelujah. I want some of you to know up front that over this next few weeks, I'm going to try to destroy your faith. Now hang on before you stone me. What What do you mean, Pastor? I thought you were supposed to build my faith. And I am. But before I can build your faith, I first have to undo some of the teachings that you've already put inside that noggin of yours. Amen? According to the dictionary, we need critical thinking. According to the dictionary, critical thinking is the objective analysis and evaluation of an issue in order to form a judgment. How many know God gave us a brain? And he wants us to use that brain, hopefully to bring him glory and praise and honor. There are a few questions that provoke more of an intense reaction and passion than this. Where did we come from? How many would agree with that? Where did we come from? To expand on that, where did the cosmos begin? How was the earth formed? How did man come into being? Today, we're going to begin to answer that question along with many others, and we're going to be using this age-old book that I like to call the Bible, God's Word to Us. Have you ever heard the acronym B-I-B-L-E? What's it mean? 
basic, basic instruction before leaving earth. God gave us his word so that we wouldn't have to flounder on this planet, but we would know what to do and when to do it. As we go into this study together, I would ask that you all try to keep an open mind. Some of you have been, and I use this term in a gentle way, brainwashed into thinking there is only one way when it comes to our origin. You have been trained to think that science and the Bible are miles, if not light years apart. But I'm here to tell you that there is common ground between science and religion. And there are some very intelligent people that believe that, perhaps more than you might think. You'd be amazed at some of the doctors, uh, PhDs out there who are proving that the Bible is truth. And it lines up with the science model. The problem between science and the Bible began many decades ago where truth was covered up and humanism, atheism, and all the other isms began to be accepted as truth. But as I hope to show you as we study this foundational topic from the Bible, it takes a lot more faith to believe in evolution and in humanism than it does to believe God's Word. It really does. It's that kind of faith that I was talking about to begin with. That's the faith that I want to destroy. The faith in a science that doesn't have evidence to prove what it's saying. And you may say, well, yes, it does. Give me a few weeks. If that's you, give me a few weeks before you form a final conclusion on this topic. You see, there are two conclusions that we can come to. First, the atheistic scientists use the evidence to prove that there isn't a God. But the creation scientists use that same evidence to prove that there is a God. And that's what we're going to look at. Would you stand with me one more time as we pray over the PowerPoint and this message? Lord, you know everything that's happening here today, every little tidbit. And I pray today that you would just give instruction as only you can. Lord, I put down a whole bunch of things on paper. I believe they're from you. I'm going to speak the word today, and I know that it will not return void, but Lord, I pray that our hearts, our minds, our souls, Lord, would, would be good ground today. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see the things of God, and as we go through this topic over the next several weeks, Lord, I pray that you would build strong foundations of faith within each one of us, that we would have an answer for those who are looking for God, that they wouldn't have to run from God, but rather they could run to you because the evidence bears witness to a creator. And Lord, I pray that when we're finished with this topic, that you would be given glory and praise and honor. We love you and we commit this audience this church into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. How many know that our enemy is very wise? He seldom goes after anything directly. 1 Peter 5, 8. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. 
Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Now, obviously this is talking about persecution much further than what I'm talking about. But how many know that when you stand for God, you will be persecuted? No ifs, ands, or buts. You will be persecuted. People are going to call you out. And that's why it's so important that we have a solid, firm foundation. That's why it's so important that when people come to you and say, well, what do you think about evolution? You're going to be able to give them a credible answer. And what happened many years ago was that the church said, listen, you know what? I, I, I really don't know what happened to the dinosaurs, and we're just not going to talk about that today. Well, what did that do? It almost made it sound like, well, does that mean that the Bible doesn't teach about dinosaurs? Well, it does, actually. We'll look into that a little bit later on. But today, I want you to understand that we have to be able to give people on this planet an answer, a credible option in reference to where we came from. And I believe that we have that ability if we study this out. The devil is sneaky. He comes at us, not head-on, but instead he uses our schools to infect our children with this godless doctrine that many label science. In my opinion, the Big Bang Theory and any other theory that eliminates the need for God, it's probably the biggest lie, the biggest obstacle that the church has to come up against today. Because if they can prove that we didn't come from a creator, but rather that we evolved from some big bang billions of years ago, then they can say, how can the rest of this be true? If that very first book isn't truth, how can the rest of it be truth? And that's what's been happening over the ages. Christianity has lost the trust of the people because we refused or neglected to have an answer. So that's why we're going back to study the very first book in the Bible, the book called Genesis. Now hear me, I don't want to sound like I'm anti-school, because I'm not. And I also don't want to sound like every teacher in the school is a heathen, but I'm guessing that the majority of them are, okay? And I'm, by that I mean that they're, they don't put their trust in God, okay? They're not churched people. There are some Christians that are out there, but my experience has been is that they, they pretty much keep silent so that they can stay under the radar of all the persecution and the assaults. Yet the Bible says we'll be persecuted. So if that's you, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to hit you upside the head today. I'm just saying that maybe we need to be more vocal about our views, our positions as Christians. God put you in that position so that you'd have a voice. But the unchurched, the ungodly, they don't want their students to consider that some supernatural being may have created everything. And I believe there are one or two states that have actually changed this. 
They're now including the creation theory along with evolution. And I think that's so important. If they admit that it required a God to begin all of this, then they might also have to admit that the other things in this Bible, like salvation, are also a possibility. But if they can prove, and I use that term loosely, if they can prove that what this book says isn't truth, then they can carry that to the next step and say that, well, how can the salvation story be any more accurate? Can you understand why it's important that we understand the foundational truths that the Bible talks about? I believe that our children are convinced there is no God as they sit under these ungodly teachers. They train them that there is only one way to think. Would you agree with this? I know this, this happened to us many years ago. I have a son that uh, at the time he was extremely, extremely sharp. A plus student. Kid got extra credit for everything. He couldn't, be set, he couldn't settle for an A. It had to be an A plus. This is about sixth grade and you know, they were going through a lot of different conversations at that time. This was in the 80s. And one of the topics that they brought out, of course, was evolution. And my son, who was my son, had heard us talking about and had heard Ken Ham talk about creation science and some of the things that you'll see out there, all right? When his teacher began to tell the class that we all came from apes, Joe, my son, began to defend the creation story. And before long, at the end of this short time that he and this instructor were going back and forth, eventually she said, you need to go to the principal's office. You need to go to the principal's office. So we were called. What's the problem? What, what did Joey do that was so bad? Well, he questioned the teacher. Here's the thing, and and this is true. (laughs) He was usually right. And after I heard what the conversation was about, I said, did you ever think maybe there's another side? Well, that's not what we teach in public school. I realized that. There is another side. That doesn't mean your way is right. You know what? She allowed my son to interject over that period of time when they discussed evolution from that point forward. And those kids got to hear both sides. And that's all I'm asking here. We need to get both sides out. But the problem is... Conform, or they're told, it's not acceptable. Wrong answer. Wrong answer. This is what our children are up against today if they don't conform to their standards. When the child tries to think outside the curricular box, he or she will be guided back and told, not acceptable. Listen. 
I have a great appreciation for you parents who are homeschooling or sending your kids to Christian school or the academy because it's getting to the point where our children are so confused in public schools, especially if you don't have this conversation with them that we're talking about right here. Because every time they go to science class, they're going to hear what? Millions of years ago, or billions of years ago, the more time they add, the more credible it's supposed to make it. But let me tell you something, it doesn't do anything. Besides the schools, the other option or vehicle, I should say, that the devil uses is Hollywood. There's not a whole lot of good that comes out of Hollywood. Aren't you grateful for movies like Woodlawn? I'm telling you. And there's some really good ones coming up here uh, this spring that talk about Jesus. But the fact is, Hollywood is anti-Christian. You'll figure that out if you watch any of their movies. We're, we're made to look like complete imbeciles most of the time. Especially pastors or religious leaders. They don't want to give us any credibility because that could be dangerous. We might be able to brainwash someone into actually believing that God created the heavens and the earth. And what really frustrates me to no end is when these A-list actors begin spouting off about things they know nothing about and the media quotes them as though they're the wisest person on the earth. And I'm not saying actors and actresses are stupid. I'm not. In fact, I have great respect for them in that art. But I believe that this book is so much wiser than any Hollywood figure ever will be. And this is where I'm going to face, put my trust. Amen? Hallelujah. This book, the Bible, is what separates us from secularism and humanism. The Bible is our guide. It is our truth setter. It is our moral compass. We all have these feelings, and this is something that evolutionists can't come to grips with. How do we know what's right and wrong? Did we evolve into that? If there is no God and we have no soul, how do we know that for me to go over and punch Clarence is wrong? I wouldn't do that, brother, because you brought a good word to me this morning. He came in, he said, I heard from God. Can I share it? And he said, God actually spoke this to him yesterday, and he said, let the pastor know I've got his back. <laughs> Woo! How can you not be excited about that? But, you know, when you look at this, we're, we're in this quandary of figuring out what's right, what's wrong, what direction to go, what direction not to go. The Bible helps us with that. It is our moral compass. Without it, you end up with a very warped sense of who you are as a human being, and that can and often does lead to a why bother kind of attitude. I believe that's why so many of our kids today are confused about who they are and what they are. 
The difference between what the Bible teaches and what our kids are learning in secular education is vast. Like the fact that God created man different than all the other animals as he gave you and me a soul. We'll read about that in the book of Genesis. But secular education teaches that the animal kingdom is equally as important, if not more important, than we human beings are. Many claim that we're all just animals, after all. Save the whales, they hail, but don't you try to take my right away to abort that little baby. The Bible teaches that God told man to take dominion over all the animals, and it also teaches we are to honor human life. Humanism, on the other hand, teaches that we should not interfere with the animal kingdom even when it could lead to saving a human's life. Something's wrong here. We've got things backwards. I want you to know, if you don't already, that God designed us to ask questions. That's why he put this brain in here. So that we can be curious about everything we see around us and go, hmm... Do you think that means there's a God? Let me share a couple scriptures. Matthew 7, 7 and 8. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks the door will be opened. Hebrews eleven six, talking about faith. But without faith no one can please God. We must believe that God is real and that he rewards everyone who searches for him. When you go after God, he's going to reward you. It's like what Julie was saying earlier. Just try to outgive him. Just try to outask him. He's going to meet you right where you're at. He's going to bless your socks off. Romans 1, 18 through 20. But God shows his anger from heaven. Do you think he's mad? God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. What's he talking about? Do you think evolution could fit into this category? What are they doing? They're suppressing the truth. They're ignoring that all the evidence around us shows us there is a God. And he created everything that there is. Verse 19, they know the truth about God because he's made it obvious to them. You know the funny thing? It's not funny. The thing about a lot of these atheists is that they were raised in the church. Many of them are pastor's kids. God help them. God forgive them. God get a hold of their hearts. I don't understand how they took that path, but this could be one of the reasons because we didn't have an answer. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse not knowing God. Hallelujah. I didn't intend to preach this week. God gave us the evidence to prove his existence. 
But asking questions about God poses a real problem for the Christian student that is being trained in the modern school system. I once had a professor that told us this, I am not here to think for you. I am here to get you to think for yourselves. And that's exactly what God wants us to do. He's not here to think for us. He's here to help us with our thinking. To understand that it all fits. This giant puzzle that we're all a part of, it all fits. There's a piece for everything. If only we search it out, He'll show us. He'll lead us to the truth. If only we ask. And that's what I want you to see today. Don't take what I'm saying as the gospel truth. Though I will be sharing the gospel and I believe it's truth. Rather, study these things out for yourselves. Tonight in Common Ground, in your own studies, go back and read. In fact, I would ask you, over this next uh, couple of weeks, read chapters 1 through 3 so that you're up to speed with where we're going to go. And then I won't, maybe I won't spend as much time on them. But I've got things I want to share with you that are going to blow you right out of the water. You're going to go, really? They proved that? You're going to be saying that by the end of this study. Be convinced that what you believe is the truth and that you can live your life unashamed with the convictions that you have. Not unlike the modern church, the Apostle Paul was also in a battle with a fierce enemy who wanted nothing less than to see everyone conform to their message, excluding the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we know the devil didn't succeed back then and he's not going to succeed today. Listen to me, mighty Christian. Keep trusting in God's Word, the ultimate truth, and don't give up on your faith. That's the one challenge God gives us through this whole life. Don't give up on your faith. Don't give up on what you believe. Don't give up. But know that as you do this, you will face persecution You will be called dumb, stupid, weak, all kinds of other names. (laughs) Oh well, at least we know that our name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said to the people of Corinth. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 and following. The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. Can I get an amen? Amen. And as the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. (laughs) He's going to make them look like a bunch of dummies. Only because... They're not smart enough to see the evidence that's in front of them. Paul goes on. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the 
world's brilliant debaters. God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven, and it is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's all a bunch of nonsense. Sounds like today. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. The foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest human plans And God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for foolish preaching. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. How many here were saved when you heard foolish preaching? Might have been one person, but they was preaching at you. They were preaching the truth. Norm? Jesus loves you. Shut up. He broke me down. Norm. God has forgiven you of all your sins. Who says I'm a sinner? God does. For all of us have fallen short of God's glory. And every time he shared a little tidbit, a little nugget, or wrote it down, he'd give me time to think about it and digest it and meditate on it. And I always did. Took six months, but eventually the light went on. Ding! Who is this Jesus? The foolishness of the gospel. So where does this leave us, mighty Christians? If you are on God's side, no matter how foolish you are told the Bible is, then you are on the right side. You are on the righteous side. I would much rather err on God's side than on man's side. If it is ever proven that man is right and the Bible is a bunch of bunk, and I really doubt this is going to happen, then I have spent a lifetime serving God, being kind and loving, and caring toward others, perhaps for nothing. But if the Bible's true, then I'm going to receive a reward. And all of those who have turned their backs on God and have believed the lies of humanism and evolution will pay the ultimate price when their souls will live forever separated from God in a place called hell. It's not God's choice to put anyone there. It was not made for us. But if you have sin in your life, you cannot enter the heavenly. Your choice is made here by faith. That, my friends, is the truth according to the Word of God. And I hope you realize that there is a war raging right now. We have to get more involved in this topic. I believe it's wrecking the faith of many of our young people. And as soon as they step into the universities, the colleges, and they get under some of these non-believing professors... It takes them about two weeks to destroy their faith 
because they have no answer for where we came from. We must know what we believe and be able to convince those around us that there is an alternative to what godless science claims as fact. This passage, 1 Peter 3, Now, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of anyone's threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life, and if someone asks about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. We have to have an answer. Amen? So let's begin with the book of Genesis. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. I'm going to put it up behind me. The first of five books that are known to the Jewish people as the Pentateuch or the Book of Laws, the Jewish people used the Hebrew name Barashith, and it means in the beginning. Very good title for that first book. The Greek interpreters later were the ones to call it Genesis, which simply meant creation or generation. This book is separated into two parts, verse, chapters 1 through 11, or the first part that talks about how God created all of this stuff, how man went through some of the processes. And then from 12 all the way to verse chapter 50, it talks about the genealogy or the lineage that followed. That's also how we can date the earth, by the way, because it gives quite a good list. Genesis 1, reading from the New Living Testament. Here we go. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. When? Okay, the earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Did you catch that? Did anything happen between verses 1 and 2? I didn't see it either. There is a school of thought out there, and this is really what started causing problems, that believes that there was this gap between verses 1 and 2 where this whole other civilization inhabited the earth and the dinosaurs and monkey man and all of that. And then when God began to create here, he destroyed all that that happened first and now he's starting over. There is nowhere in the Bible that this can be bore out, all right? The word used for day is the word yam, and it means literally a 24-hour period of time. And some have claimed, 2 Peter 3.8 talks about, but you must not forget this one thing, dear friends, a day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. So what they're saying is, one day could have been a thousand years. But that's not what Peter was saying. That's not what the word yam means. It means a literal 24-hour period. Now what this is saying is that God is not contained by time. He gave time for us so that we would know the beginning and the end of our day. For some reason we needed that. But for God, He can move through time. And I believe He has and does. All right? Nothing can contain God. He is omniscient, omnipresent, etc. 
Verse 3. Is that 3? Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. And evening passed and morning came, marking the first day. Notice again, evening passed and morning came. This signifies a 24-hour period. Then God said, let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth, and that is what happened. God made this space to separate the waters from the earth, waters of the earth from the waters of the heavens. God called the space sky. We still see that today. It is thought that there may have been some kind of a water-ish canopy on the outer atmosphere of the earth in the beginning, which was one of the things that prevented the harmful rays of the sun from coming through, and that's why Eden was such a beautiful place. And man lives for so many years. We don't really know a whole lot about what this outer water thing is, but just know that it could have happened that way. All right? And evening passed, and morning came, and that marked the second day. Then God said, let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place so dry ground may appear. And that is what happened. Notice God calls these things out and they happen. God called the dry ground land and the waters seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land sprout with vegetation. Now, you've got to catch this part. Let the land sprout with vegetation, every sort of seed-bearing plant and trees that grow seed-bearing fruit. If you don't get anything else that I'm saying today, get this part. These things that God created were created to produce the same kind of thing. Now you can mix some of this stuff up as far as like, we see that today. We have tangelos and all that stuff. But you're never going to take an asparagus and make a, a, an apple out of it, all right? That just doesn't happen because they're different kinds. And that's what God's saying here. These seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they came. And that's what happened. The land produced vegetation, all sorts of seed-bearing plants and trees with seed-bearing fruit. Their seeds produced plants and trees of the same kind, and God saw that it was good. Do you see evolution taking place here? No. God created it to be that plant, and that's what it is. Each seed produces new plants according to their kind. An olive pit will never evolve or produce a daisy or a daffodil. It can only produce from its kind, just as God had originally made it to do. An evening passed and morning came, marking the third day. Now, what I want you to notice up front, the plants, the trees, have already been put into place. Because this is an argument that the evolutionists have. Plants, trees, what do they require? Sunlight. Mary, you are always, man, you, would, you probably got gold stars all the way through class, didn't you? There's no sun until day four, so how did the 
plants and the trees grow. Then God said, let great lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them mark off the seasons, days, and years. Let these lights in the sky shine down on the earth. And that is what happened. I can't get into it this week, but there's some really cool stuff about the distances of the sun to the earth, the moon to the earth. I'll share that maybe next week, but you'll have to come back to hear it. God made two great lights, the sun and the moon, the larger one to govern the day, the smaller one to govern the night. He also made the stars. This is when the stars were made. Day four. Not billions of years ago. Now let me ask you this. You know, they tell us, okay, God is omnipresent, meaning he's everywhere, right? Could he have distanced those stars to the billions of light years away that they are in a moment? And yet we question whether, now brother, you know, the laws say, the laws of thermodynamics say that this could never happen. With God, all things are possible. You know, we quibble over these things when the evidence right in front of us is so obvious. We're trying to go billions of years out there. Oh, brother, I just found a new star system. It's 13.5 billion years away. Really? And how does that help? God set the light in the sky to light the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And evening passed and morning came the fourth day. Let me share this. What illuminated the earth during that third day? The city. This is Revelation 21, 23. Jesus said, And the city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. How do we know it was Jesus? I put that in there. That's not in Scripture. <laughs> Revelation 1.8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come. The Almighty One. Glory to Jesus. He illuminated the earth. He allowed those plants to grow as only He could. And that's how it's going to be in heaven, folks. And the new heaven and the new earth. We're not going to get into that today. Then God said, let the water swarm with fish and other life. Let the skies be filled with the birds of every kind. So God created great sea creatures. And every living thing that scurries and swarms in the water and every sort of bird. We'll talk about the great sea creatures and some of the other things again, hopefully next week. Each producing offspring of different kinds. Of the same kind. Giraffes didn't become, didn't come from fish. We didn't come from apes, folks. Even though they're trying to prove that we did. There's a lot of bias going on there. A lot of studies have proved that it's not possible. Hopefully we'll get into that soon. Then God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply. Let the fish fill the seas, let the birds multiply on the earth. And I think they've done a good job. Right? Then God said, let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of same kind, livestock, 
Small animals scurrying along the ground of wild animals. That is what happened. God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock and small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. Now, how did they know back when this was written that animals could only come from the same kind? Fish could only come from the same kind. Birds could only come from the same kind. Nothing evolves. You know there's never been proven a mutation. There's never been proven a mutation that was good for that critter, creature. Never. It's always bad for it. It weakens it or it destroys it completely. And yet we're supposed to believe that these billions of things all came together somehow and became you and me and our little babies and, and, and our little dogs and Oh, man. I just, sorry. <laughs> then God said, let us make humans beings. This is ha, Adam, in the original language. And that means the man. In our image, let us make human beings in our image to be like ourselves. Who are we like? Wait a minute ourselves what 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 happened there god the holy spirit god the father god the son god the holy spirit they're three but they're the same person they're the same god i can't explain this one most people can't but it's scriptural we don't get it so much but that just shows god is so much bigger than we are some things we just got to read it and go okay <laughs> jesus was there we know that he said he was alpha omega beginning end we obviously know god the father was there and the holy spirit was hovering over there so we know he was here ourselves they will reign over, get this part, they, meaning man, will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So who is, has dominion, who reigns over all of the earth? Man. Not whales, seals, dolphins, dogs. Man. Only man. Verse 27, so God created human beings in his own image. We're the only ones. Look at your neighbor and say, you look like God. Ooh. We're created in his image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. We're getting close to the end. Then God blessed them and said, go hole up and don't produce any kids. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and the animals that scurry along the ground. Fill the earth. Yet we have people today that are trying to say there are too many of us. The earth is overpopulated. We need to eliminate about 75% of them. <laughs> Truth is, we could all fit, every one of us on this planet, 
on the island of Rhode Island. We might only have a couple square feet, but we could do it. There's plenty of room on this planet. We just need to learn to take care of each other. Yeah. Hallelujah. Be fruitful, be fruitful, multiply. Yada, yada. Verse 29. Then God said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees of the fruit trees for your food, and I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals. What are the wild animals eating? Catch this part. What? Green plants. Not each other. Yet, this is before the fall. Everything was good. (laughs) The animals didn't eat each other. The dinosaurs didn't eat each other. The dinosaurs ate green plants. The animals ate green plants. The birds ate green plants. And we ate fruit. We didn't eat the animals that ate the green plants. Yet. I didn't say it. God did And that's what happened. All the animals were vegetarian at this point. There have been a lot of studies done that have proven this. I went into the next chapter just a little bit only because it's the last day. Did I read... Then God looked over all he had made. He saw that it was very good. Evening passed, morning came, making it the sixth day. Then verse 1 of chapter 2, and I'm going to end here. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation. So he rested, or he ceased, from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day, declared it holy, because it was the day when he rested from all the work of creation. This is the account of the creation of the heavens and the earth. Would you stand with me? Spent a lot of time on this topic last week. Can we trust the Bible? Tried to lay groundwork today as to why we need to believe that the Bible is truth. People need an answer. People are looking for answers. And I believe we have the answers and we have the right answers. We have the righteous answers. But it requires us to do our homework, to study and show ourselves approved, rightly dividing the word of truth. You and I need to do this. What I hope you'll take away today, and I said this once already, is that you'll realize that there are two options, there are two theories that we can run with as far as the age of the universe in our planet. One claims to be scientific, and it says the universe is some 14 and a half billion years. That's the newest one I've seen. I just read it the other day. Now we're 14 and a half billion years old, brother. I'm sorry, I don't mean to sound like I'm mocking these people, but in my mind I am. I don't mean to be like that. Because these people really believe this. And I'm not trying to, to look down on them. I'm just saying, come on. Look at the evidence. Really look at it. 
Stop using your bias when you read it and really look at what's all around us. The other claims to be from God, and it says that God created everything in six days, and on the seventh he rested. And if we use the lineage, the the genealogy that flows out of the book of Genesis, if we read that and we look at it and add up all the years that those people lived, we come up with an age somewhere between six and 7,000 years old. And this is where many people get tripped up. Let me ask you this, were the scientists that give this earth and our universe, this old age, were they there? Only one was there. Infinite God. God Almighty. Jehovah God. He was there. And He gives us the facts in Genesis 1 and in Genesis 2. And when He finished, He said, it is very good. It is very good. I believe that as we will see over the next few weeks, God's version of creation is one that lines up with what I like to call good science. I also believe that if you'll keep an open mind, that there is more evidence proving a young earth than there is to prove that evolution took place some. 65 million years ago on this planet. And we flowed from that. Would you bow your heads? Father, you you know every person in this room. And you gave us your word, not just to show us where we came from, but to show us how much you love us. You love man, woman, so much, every boy, every girl, you love us so much that you created us in your image to look just like you. (laughs) I am so grateful that we have the Scriptures that will guide us into all truth. And I pray for every person here today If you're here in this room and you have already put your trust in Jesus, you've said, Lord, forgive me of my many sins. Make me a new person. Lord, I want to follow you. I want to be with you forever. If that's you, would you lift your hand up real quick so I can see it. Hands going up all over them. You're born again already. Thank you, Lord. You put them down. There are many in this room that did not raise their hand just then. And maybe... You didn't have enough energy to lift it. Or maybe you're here today and you'd say, Pastor, I don't know if I'm ready. If, if I were to die today, you said I have to make a choice on this side of heaven. I can't make it on the other side. I have to agree that I need Jesus, that I need what He did on that cross. I need the forgiveness of God today. If that's you, And you would be so kind. I'm not going to ask you to come up, but I want to pray with you. Would you lift your hand up so I can see who you are? Anybody here today, you need Jesus. You know it. Yes, anybody else? You put it down. Anybody else? You know it. You know you need him. You know something? I, I have come up with this conclusion after many years of thinking about my old life before Jesus. 
I saw so many places where God tried to get a hold of me. I saw places where He saved me from death so that I'd finally get to the place where I said yes or could say yes. I just want to throw this out one more time. Because I believe there's one person here today, at least one, that's, that you're struggling with this and you're like, man, I, I just don't, I don't know if I'm ready for this. But what if you don't have another day to make this choice? What if you don't make it today? What if this is God's day for you to say yes to him? Please, no, every head bowed, every eye closed. If that's you. You know you need Jesus and you're fighting this thing, but you want me to pray with you. Would you lift your hand up really quick, please? Yes, anybody else? Yes, anybody else? You can put it down if you raised it. Thank you, Jesus. All right, there are at least three or four in this room that want to pray and ask Jesus into their lives today. And for those of you who just raised your hand, I want you to know this, that it, this is the beginning of a new life for you. God will show you what to do next. As you pray, as you get into a good church, if you don't have one, we'd love to have you here. God will guide you. He'll bless you. He'll fill you with His Holy Spirit. But I want you to pray and ask Him to wash you clean to prepare you for your heavenly adventure that you're about to take. So I'd ask everybody in this room, especially those who raise their hand, to say this with me. Dear Lord, I recognize my need for you. I believe the Bible. I believe you died for me, Jesus. God sent you to save me, to wash me clean. So today, I confess my sins to you. Everything that I've ever done that's against God, that's against my neighbor, maybe even that's against me, forgive me, Lord. Wash me clean. And Lord, make me a new person. I'm still the old person, but my spirit is new. You're going to put a joy in me right now. You're going to put a faith in me right now. You're going to begin to pour yourself into me right now. I receive it. Lift your hands up. I receive it in the name of Jesus. To God be all the glory and all the praise. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You got that green book in your hand there, brother? Yeah, I'm looking at you, Jerry. The, the big Jerry back there. If you would like a copy of this, please grab it from Jerry or Ken. It will help guide you into the next part of your life as you've given your heart and life to Jesus. This is week one. <laughs> What's coming next? Only God knows because it's still developing. If we live on a young earth, 
How do we explain fossils and dinosaurs and the evolutionist view that we came from chimpanzees? We're going to try to answer these questions and many others as we continue our foundational study next week. I hope you're able to join us as we continue on this quest to discover who's closest to the truth. The evolutionists, the Darwinians, or God himself. Come on back next week. Father, thank you for blessing us. Keep our people safe in their coming and in their going, Lord. We pray for promotions and raises, Lord. We pray for favor in their schools, in their workplace, as they share the love of God, that you would open up doors for us, Lord, to minister and to speak life into people, to show them and give them an answer coming directly from your word, Lord. Help us to be your mouthpiece. We pray for all those who don't yet know Jesus died for them. Give us opportunity, Lord. Even now, prepare their hearts to receive. And then show us who they are. Bless our snacks and coffee time, our fellowship immediately after service. Bless our common grounds this evening. We pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you. Have a great week in Jesus. Look forward to seeing you again next week. We pray you enjoyed this message from Pastor Norm Oberlin. If you would like to partner with Mount Hope Church, you can make your tax-deductible donation online at GaylorChurch.com. From there, just click on Give Online Now. Thanks for listening. We can't wait to be with you again next week.